Okay, I want to talk a little bit about relativity. Uh, relativity, they call it the theory of relativity, and I believe Albert Einstein put forth concepts related to it. I don't think it's a theory. I think they ought not to call it a theory of relativity. I think that the theory of evolution is another word with theory. It seems that when anthropologists dig into the back history of civilization and they find embedded in rocks prehistoric remains of trees and other things, they all changed. The palm trees of a million years ago were different than the palm trees today. So evolution means that things change. Whether they evolve or not, from the lower animals, just how they do that is not understood. So you can say, well, we don't understand exactly how it works, but things do change. So the, like I said, the trees of three million years ago are not like the trees of today, because the climate was different. So when people say, I don't believe in evolution, there's evidence to show that things change. Even palm trees or any kind of plant undergoes change. So you can say, hey, here's a concept of change, but uh, a theory means uh, somebody's idea about something that may or may not be. We find that all things change, including children. As they're growing up, they change. Automobiles change. Uh, production methods change. Civilization undergoes change. So I want to say this. My first real exposure to relativity was in California many, many years ago when I went to visit Palomar Telescope. Now the Palomar Telescope is a big building that rotates with a telescope aimed at any star. The whole top rotates, the whole dome, not the floor. They rotate that because the opening of the telescope sticking out has to be turned. And they demonstrated relativity there. They pressed a button and the thing started to turn. Since that whole thing was turning, you thought the platform was turning that you were standing on. Because more motion was in the big thing, so we assumed the platform we're standing on is turning. And he says, that's a good demonstration of relativity. The astronomer who was in charge of that. And it helped. Then, when you apply relativity into human systems, if you're used to France, you're brought up in France, everybody has a glass of wine. If you come to this country, everything seems strange to you because the customs are different. And relative to your background, you think, well, maybe that's the right way and the other way is the wrong way. You go to other countries and you see different customs, you say, give me the good old USA. And when they come to this country, you say, give me good old Alaska. You know what I mean? Because they're brought up with a different concept. Now, if you could look at a dog, if a dog looks at a giraffe, or if a, dog, or if a mouse looks at a dog, he says it's enormous if a mouse could talk. And when a giraffe looks at a dog, he says it's very little. They're both telling the truth relative to their position of observation. 
Is that clear? That's why the word truth is very shaky. And uh, we used to say the lion is the king of beasts, but really the virus kills lions and whales and people, so maybe the virus is the king of beasts. We talk of things as though they were true. And that's why semanticists introduced terminology like, it seems to me, which is very good, it seems to me that a dog would appear small to a giraffe. That's the truth, if a giraffe could talk. Now, if you can put, which I did years ago, I put a prism in front of a dog and then another prism at the, near the feet of the dog, so the dog gets a ground view of other animals. In other words, the vision comes from low. And when I put a dog the same size as the dog, it looked enormous because he's getting a ground view and he backed away. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is relativity applied. Now, they say that a bear stands up to look larger. He doesn't stand up to look larger, he stands up, period, when he sees a person. But man edits what he sees. He says the reason for the peacock's big display of feathers is to attract the opposite sex. The peacock responds a certain way. The opposite sex responds a certain way to that. But it's not there to attract the opposite sex. That's where relativity comes in. People say, we have ears to hear with, tongue to taste with, nose to smell with, and eyes to see with. Now, all that sounds very acceptable to people that are not highly disciplined in language. But if you're highly disciplined in language, you ask a person whether they really believe that. And that's where I said to a guy who was a doctor who said, we have eyes to see with. So I brought him in a dark room and said, see. He says, I can't unless you turn the lights on. Then you don't have eyes to see with. You see if there's light. Some people can see better in the dark, but it doesn't mean absolute dark. If it's absolutely dark, the doors are closed, you can't see. And if you've got a, a cold, it's difficult to smell. And if you have punctured eardrums, you can't hear. But hearing helps people survive. If I'm crossing the street talking to somebody, I can hear a Mack truck coming and I'll, my head will turn. But if I lose my hearing, I lose my senses in that area. Is that clear? And if I lose my hearing or I'm blind, I can't tell one to cross the street because I can't hear traffic coming. So I'm less equipped. Now, the more you know about relativity, you can understand when a person says, I'm a Greek, I love Greek music, I can't stand American music. He's talking about his environment. But the guy says, the Greek music is truly beautiful. That's because he's been heavily indoctrinated in Greek music. But what he thinks he's talking about is the truth. He doesn't know that, you know, all the Greeks he knows, they hold hands on shoulders and dance in circles. And when the Greeks feel good, they hold shoulders and they dance in circles. And he said, that is a different kind of people. They have a different feeling. They are better people. They have a deeper feeling. He's talking about his own land. That's where relativity comes in. Behavior and values are relative. Now, when I say 
the artist, the painter, the artist, musician, is more inclined to accept metaphysics than the physicist. Do you know why? Why is an artist more inclined to accept metaphysics? Lack of training in science. Yes, lack of training in science. Do you have any other concepts? They have, they have no platform. They have, anything goes, which I guess is a lack of training in science. Well, they say they like art. It's and a feeling tone. It's an emotional tone. It's more emotional than it is physical. The artist says, I just, I love to paint. Well, if he was a shoemaker, he'd like to make shoes. And if he's a sculptor, he loves to sculpt. And so they think it's real, like Picasso. They look at his work and say, the man is a genius. Somebody hyped that kind of stuff. And somebody made it popular. When the king is told that he was put here by God to rule over society, he likes that. Makes him feel good. But if you say, look, the king is just another guy that sometimes makes mistakes, sometimes he doesn't, then the public will not respect the king that much. If you say, well, look, sometimes the king does the right thing, sometimes he's wrong, he's a human being with limited information, he can't make absolute decisions, if you did that to the public, under that king, the king wouldn't have no authority anymore. So he has authority. When the king makes a statement, everybody listens, because he's considered important. But they don't say, I wonder what, he, what he's saying, if it can be verified. They don't ask those questions. He's the king, he must know what he's talking about. Or if a guy is a senator, he must know about how to manage government. Not necessarily. That's why, why is news managed? Why don't they give you all sides, the Nazi viewpoint, the Spanish viewpoint, and more? Because you can't keep soldiers in line if you gave them the viewpoint of every other country on the news, especially when you're at war. If you say, General Thompson made a terrible mistake, he sacrificed 3,000 people on the beach because he didn't know how well armed the enemy was. Well, that general would be arrested. They say, you had no right making a decision unless you had all that information. But they don't put that out on the news because it makes the army look bad. Anything that would make the Pentagon look bad makes people lose confidence in the Pentagon. Do you understand that? And if people lose Pentagon confidence, they don't make appropriations for them. Do you understand that? So people don't deliberately get up and falsify information. They falsify information when it threatens their authority. Is that clear? So when you say, well, why do people do that? Because they have a certain command of respect. And if you find out that Fresco molests sheep, you know, you put it out there, they stop listening to me. Even if I'm a less sheep, even if I did that, it has nothing to do with what I say. If I say the truth in certain areas, and you get mad at me, you say, the hell with Fresco. His ideas may be all right, but in some areas, he's not well versed in. But when you drop a whole person because he has six wives or 20 wives, that's wrong. If a person gets up and invents mathematical formulas, 
but he has an addiction to 20 wives and he has eunuchs protect his wives. They can't have sex with him because he removes their testicles. And uh, he does that as a, his own insecurity. Do you understand what I mean? People put bars on their windows because they don't want people to take things from them. They feel there's a lot of people out there that would remove things without permission. But when you hire people and they work for you, you determine the salary. They can't go out on, they can stop work and walk out and say, we're not working for you anymore unless we get 10 bucks a week rather than five bucks a week. So the unions became a method of forcing the owner of the plant to make a decision in favor of the workers. Is that good or bad? Has nothing to do with good or bad, it has to do with income. And the more income the working people have, the more secure they feel. So if you're pro-labor, you're pro-labor. But if you own a factory, it's hard to be pro-labor and make a lot of money. Do you understand that? The Republicans are mostly industrialists, and therefore their viewpoint is to support industry. They really believe that industry makes jobs. They really believe if you have a lot of help and they get minimum wage, they can maintain the competitive edge. If the people go out on strike and they're making 10 bucks a week, then I'll make 20 bucks a week, he loses global competitive edge. So I said, the unions are killing us. He's right. And the unions say, we don't earn, he makes $3 million a year, we make, you know, 10000 a year. And so they're right, and the boss is right. They're all right, when you use the word right and wrong. Now, the point is, if unions win out all over the country, and they raise the standard of living, we will lose the competitive edge. Do you understand that? But if you start fighting, well, I'm pro-labor, I'm pro-this or that, you're talking about your own group. And relative to what you're doing, you are right. But if you want the world to be a different place, better place, you have to design things so there's no kingpin. You know what I mean by that? No privileged group. If you set aside the engineers and make them a privileged group, you can teach kids that engineering has a closer approximation of reality than metaphysics. Because you can take metaphysical predictions, the earth is coming to an end, and then you take scientific predictions, man will never fly. You'll find that the metaphysical predictions are not as accurate. Although scientists make mistakes too, but they make many less than metaphysicians. And they say, what about intuition, when a person feels that something's going to happen, and it happens? Well, sometimes uh, people do grasp the right thing. But I don't remember any metaphysicians warning the New York Times that an airplane's going to fly into the building, these intuitive people. I never remember reading in a newspaper that Johnson said, the Japanese are going to attack Pearl Harbor December 7th. I never remember that. Where are all these psychics that can see the future? You can say it's probable that Japan might attack Pearl Harbor, but the army believed if they passed Wake Island, we'd know about it. But if they go around it, 
we wouldn't know about it. Do you know what I mean? So the army tries to figure out what the enemy might do. How good is intelligence? How much real information do they have? And how much is speculation? So when a guy says, in the future everybody will have an airplane. Well, if things go on the way they are and they don't earn enough money to buy an airplane. And he could say, if we change our social institutions and make airplanes available to everybody at no cost, the probability is higher. But if the majority of people say, we like things the way they are, don't change them, then no one know there will never come a day when everybody will have their own airplane. They can only have it in a resource-based economy. And they don't own it, it's there for their use. You go down to the airport and you check out a plane. And that's the way the Army works. An Army officer, say, is going to California. He calls up the New Jersey Air Force Base. And he says, I'm leaving at 8 in the morning for California. And he gets there at 8 in the morning and the plane's sitting there with a the prop going. The mechanic got it all ready. Then when he lands in California, he doesn't have to wheel it in the hangar. He just gets out and goes about it. They wheel it in the hangar and they keep it in A1 condition. He doesn't have to worry about that. The Army doesn't have to worry about whether the war tank works or not. There's a group of people assigned to keep that war tank working. There's a group of people assigned to keep the cannons working on the war tank. So all he does is the tank operator, he gets in and everything is working for him. But he doesn't hope it'll work. He knows that a group of people are assigned by the army to do that. The butcher knows that the scale is a thing people go by. When you order three pounds of ham, he kept cutting it, putting it on the scale. When it hits three, he stops. People like that better than the judgment of people. I think this is three pounds. The butcher was inclined at, at uh, nearly three pounds to say it's three pounds. The guy buying it would like to see bigger cuts, you know. So the scale is makes the decisions today. I would like to see, instead of Fresco making any decisions, all the stuff tested and put on some kind of a scale. Because if I, if uh, Roxanne leaves me, I'd be sad and I, my decisions might be distorted. You know what I mean? So uh, human beings fluctuate, you know what I mean? Their judgment fluctuates depending on how they feel, whether they're physically great or hungry or deficient, their values change. So I would like to see a machine government only because the values don't change. They're out in the agricultural belt, they're in the soil, they measure the water table, and they say it's going down every year. That means in so many years the plants will die if they don't have access to water. I like that system best rather than what do you think, what do you think. So relativity tells us that all things are relative, that there's no absolute. Now, when you say there's no absolute, you run into a problem. If a guy falls off the Empire State Building, you can say he absolutely will die when he hits the ground. That's absolute. So when you say nothing is absolute, they mean when you talk about the world as being a certain way, it may or may not be. But when you say nothing is absolute, 
then it becomes unrealistic. Because certain things are absolute. If a tree falls on your head, you're absolutely God. Do you understand what I mean? So there are absolutes. But if a person locks their frame when they talk and they say, if you fall out of an airplane without a parachute, the probability is that you'll die. So I read of an unusual case in Russia where a guy fell two miles without a parachute on a slopey mountain that was loaded with snow. And he went down and slowed up and he lived. It's a very unusual case. But you can say it's most probable that people falling out of an airplane in the summertime, not where there's a slow mountain. If you precisely state the conditions, you're closer. But you can't say man will never survive a fall out of an airplane. You could say in most instances, without a parachute, the man will probably be injured severely. Do you understand what I mean? When I read that Russian thing, I then wondered if a man fell out of an airplane a mile high and he fell in the ocean. Well, at the speed you fall, the ocean becomes solid. Because you can't penetrate water at 300 miles an hour. You hit the water and it's solid, like a rock. And it's like concrete. But I didn't know that. When an airplane crashes into the sea, it doesn't go right into the water. It stops and the wings break off and everything else. Water is only soft under certain conditions. If you hit the water with your hand, if you can do this real hard, it'll stop at the water surface and you'll injure your hands, be bleeding all over. But if you push your hand slowly, you go right into the water. So is water dangerous? It depends on the whole situation. How fast are you hitting the water? That's where relativity comes in. It's all relative. So all our judgments, uh, some people don't know the difference between relative judgment and, and other experiences. They don't have those shades of gray. They say water is soft and a person that hits water is very hard. So it depends on the conditions. Like I said before many times, they say that Jesus walked on water. Well, the mosquito would say, we've been walking on water for years. Mosquito can walk on water because their weight is so light. And if an ant falls off a, a building 50 stories high to an ant, he doesn't become injured. He falls slowly due to the air. And an ant says, so what? You know, so to, relative to an ant falling off a tree, he's, he's resistant so slow and his weight is so little. If he had was made of mercury, he'd splatter over. You know what I mean? So, when you start thinking in relative terms, how does a fish know when to go right or left? You know, you see a whole bunch of fish moving this way and that way. When do the fish say, hey, I gotta fly left, or a bird? They all seem to move fast in one direction or the other. It means that when you dissect a bird, you'll find that the optic nerve is connected to the wings. So when another bird is here, the optic nerve twists the wings. So fish are the same way. They see a fish move and the, the optic nerve of the fish is connected to the fins and rudder. They don't say, hey, I gotta go left, hey, I gotta go right. That's intellect. Now no human 
can do that, keep up with mosquitoes, you know, they chase each other. When the hell do you say, hey, he went left? By the time you say that, he's made 400 moves. How can an insect do that? They say some insects only live three days, but they may see things faster, meaning a ball in motion to use, but to an insect, they can see it in detail, because they see more per second than we do. Proof that they move their wings super fast, like a little insect flying has to move its wings. The smaller the insect, the faster the movement. And people say, if you try to figure it out, insects don't have enough wing area to beat on the air. But if they move it fast enough, and do they move it or is it moved? Uh, does the insect respond to environment or is the insect making decisions? I think I'll fly with a flock. They fly with a flock, the birds. They don't say, I think I'll fly with a flock. Do you know what I mean? And if fish behave in unison, they will go to the right or left. The, the ichthyologist that studies fish thinks that the fish make a bigger mass so the sharks see a bigger mass and they won't attack the fish. They think that animals do that for that purpose, to look like a large unit when all the fish are working together. You know what I mean? Just say that it seems that fish do that and some fish swim away when there's a larger mass. But don't say they do it to appear larger. Some animals spread their feathers out and say they look larger and meaner. They say that's why animals look ugly. They have fangs and horns, so they scare other Another animal doesn't say, he's terrible looking. They don't, that's a human projection. And humans project like mad, and that's why they kill each other. They believe, if you're brought up in a society that you know has 15 gods, because that's the way they brought you up, when a guy comes to town there's only one god, that guy doesn't sound right to you. He said, what are you, a troublemaker? An agitator? The guy said, no, I really believe there's one guy. He said, I really believe there's 20 gods. Who's right? They're both full of shit. But if you're brought up that way, it seems right. The way you tip your hat to a lady. In the old days, people used to tip their hats to ladies. Did you know that? When I was a kid, it was normal. I haven't seen a guy do that in years. And a man always opens the door for a lady in a car. The lady doesn't open the door. That's all gone. But when person use words like right or wrong, is it right or wrong, all I can say is there are more efficient ways of doing things. And as time goes on, we probably will learn more effective ways of doing things that correlate with the real world. But you can't say that man should open the door for a lady, that's the right thing to do. You can say that's a custom of a given area. Is that clear? So these are the tools to think with. If you try to think about man without those tools, like relativity, values are relative, you can say that the floor seems to be moving, but I really don't know. You can say that. You can say that when airplanes used to fly 40 miles an hour, they were the fastest thing on earth. But when they fly 4,000 miles an hour, people would say, we can never stand that.
We can if we slowly accelerate, you know what I mean? If you pick up speed slowly, if you're trying to go from 50 miles an hour to 4,000 miles an hour, the guy would flatten out against the seat, just like falling, if you shove the guy too fast. So rockets travel as fast as man can stand it. If he travels too fast, he'll collapse on the floor. You know what I mean? When an airplane turns in the old days, you can make an airplane turn faster. The guy's blood rushes down to his feet and he conks out. And the higher you go, the more oxygen you need, because the oxygen content is diminished. But they found out that oxygen causes the teeth to become loose, and you tend to lose your teeth, flying altitude a great deal. There's no way to know that until people begin to lose their teeth. And people say, of course, we, we can't fly high with a lot of oxygen, because they learned that. But if you hadn't learned that, you'd say, I've learned something new. That's what I mean when I say no human being makes a mistake. They can't know what to do in the old days. They can't know that a blunt piece of wood will not go into the animal. But if they break off a branch and it's broken with a wedge, it goes into the animal. So they sharpen things. But they can't know that before trying something. So that's what I mean by man never makes a mistake. But if he learns new things through experience, he can apply that. Science tells you that if you went to another planet and it was uh, six times the gravity of the Earth, the guy said, let's go for a walk. You say, no thanks, because to lift up your leg, it's, if it weighs 100 pounds, it's 600 pounds. Do you understand? So nobody goes for a walk. And all the laws of designing buildings, a thick base, you know what I mean? And you say, Jesus Christ, look at the shape of the buildings here. They're not wrong, they're in accordance with the laws of that planet. So when you measure things on Earth, you're measuring things in relation to man. Do you understand? But if a guy comes to another world and his legs are that thick, and his bones are that thick, like a dinosaur, he says, well, in our world, gravitation is here we can bounce around. It's strange. And so when men write scientific laws, they're based upon the effects of environment on us here. When a guy says, what is the truth about things? It's a ridiculous question. You know, what do people do on another planet where things are much heavier? Where there are some planets, they say, that are their gravity is so great that if you landed there, even if you could land there, you'd flatten out on the earth into a blob. Because the gravity is so great, it'll pull you right down and flatten you out. You know what I mean? Can we go to those planets? Well, gee, we'd have to develop very different systems. I won't say no, but we'd have to develop very different systems. But I think that... Uh, Evolution is like the first fish that crawled out of the water, the lungfish. It could breathe underwater or out of the water. It crawled out of the water because it was able to. That's why I say in the future, if a living organism went into the sea, they'd change their shape and swim away like a fish. When they came out of the sea, they'd have legs and walk around like a man. 
That's what evolution is, but it happens over millions of years. But if it happened instantaneously, if you lived one-tenth of a second, there'd be no waves in the ocean. There'd be, the ocean would be frozen like that. If you could see one-tenth of a second, there'd be no motion. No trees would move in the breeze. Do you know what I mean? They'd be stationary. So you would write about your world. It's a stationary world. We can't write about the world. We can only write about our impressions with our receptors. Do you understand that? So if you ever become a truth seeker, you'll stop learning new things. Because it's, it stops you. You think that everything you measure is the way things are. I know they're not due to experience in that area. So I would probably guess that a mosquito sees things very fast. He can see the wings in another mosquito in different positions. His images per second are fast. You see fuzz. You don't see insect wings moving. You just see a blur. Do you know what I mean? Like you see a fan. A fan that just cuts the image value in lighting and you stick your hand in a fan and you feel it. But you can't see the blades of a fan in motion. So <clears throat> when I worked at the aircraft factory, some guy brought in a strobe light and they use it differently than we do. The strobe light goes on every time the helicopter blades are facing you. It goes on. It doesn't go on. Well, when the blades face you, it goes on like dun, 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 dun. So you always see the blade in fixed position. And when the controls move the blade, you can see the control, shove the blade, because it photographs all intervals in the rotation, which we can't see. All we see is a fan blur, you know what I mean? With a strobe light, did you ever have a strobe light where you can vary this, the interval of the lighting? You can stop a fan in motion. It seems like it stops. Whenever they photograph automobiles on television, the wheels seem to turn the wrong way. Have you noticed that? Because the lighting is, is not synchronous with the wheel. You'd have to make your lighting synchronous to make the wheel. You can make it go faster or, so, or backward, anything you want, by lighting the wheel. Every time there's focus in this position or in that position, if you turn the light on, it'll look like it's going backwards. So we have another thing. The bigger you are, the more slowly you move. Dinosaurs never ran. You know, they, they went faster, and the bigger you are, the more gravity affects you. But if you're very small, an ant can move like 200 miles an hour relative to its size. You've seen insects run across these little lizards here. They run across the land. But if he were big, he couldn't run that fast in the gravity field. So when you say, what's the best way to be? Well, if you can, somebody once suggested this, if you can breed human beings genetically so they're this size, one loaf of bread would feed people for a year. You know what I mean? But cats and mice would eat people. So you've got other problems. So our size and survival depends on our size relative to other animals. If you were this size, you'd be picked up by the birds and eaten, carried away. So when you, if you made people smaller, there's a negative consequences. 
you could fall off a building if you're this size and get up and brush the dust off. But you wouldn't live very long. Every goddamn insect, when you're stung by a bee, you'd be dead. And when a mosquito lands on you, ah! You know what I mean? That's what relativity is. So, if we go to another planet, it depends on the conditions of the other planet. We may not be able to survive. So we have to send a probe out there to measure the gravity, the oxygen content, and after studying that we say there's not enough oxygen for the average person to live here. Or gravity will not accommodate to our tires and our space vehicles. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So normal people brought up in an environment feel that's the way it really is. It is because they were brought up here. So when a guy says, you know, I'd like to study how the world really is. They can't do that. You're going to study it relative to yourself. Do you know what that means? I wanted you to know precisely that relativity works and it's a tool to think with. That's all. This is the application of relativity. That all things are relative. You can't know exactly the way things work. You can only know what you can receive. There's a gadget that scientists use to see if there's an electromagnetic field here. It's a kind of a... They also have a gadget they lower from an airplane. It's like a big disc with an electric current going around in a circle. There's a lot of iron under the land. It slows up the electric current. So instead of going around geologically looking for iron, the airplane drops this down and it flies over the earth and it tells you where the iron is. Do you understand? By a current moving around in a coil. And it's called a magnetometer. That's how they know whether... In the old days they used to dig down, find metal, say, this is a good place for it. Nowadays, with a prism, a certain type of prism, arranged a certain way, if you aim it at a star, it tells you there's no oxygen on that star, no nitrogen, no water, the, the prism, the color bands tell you what there is on that planet. It was discovered accidentally. When the Germans made airplanes that were lighter and stronger, they didn't know what it was made of. So they heat the metal so it's bright, white hot, and run it through a prism, they get a color band. And the color band says 2% magnesium, 1% carbon, cobalt, you know what I mean? It's called spectral analysis. So we can turn a spectrum on anything today. And if we heat it so it's white hot, we can tell what it contains. That's how they know there's no air on the moon before they ever went there. But normally, how do they know there's no air on the moon? They've never been there. There are other ways, but they don't know about spectroscopes. You know, spectral analysis. A lot of people don't know about those things, so they, how the hell do they know? My opinion is just as good as theirs. They don't look into it and say, how do they know? They speculate, you know what I mean? And so that's why we have so much trouble with people, because they do not have a common way of seeking information. They say, well, if you ask me, I think my opinion is just as good as yours. Good. So, People feel they want to feel equal to you. They say, that's your opinion. Now I'm going to give you mine. See? 
So they think one opinion is as good as another. And that's valid amongst people that don't know how to check things out. They should say, I wonder how they know there's no water on the moon. But wondering that, they don't go to their computer and say, how do people know that? I don't know if your computer will handle that, but your computer will tell you every phase of metals with a memory. If you know, if you put in metals with a memory, or you put in materials with a memory, you'll get more than metals with a memory. If you put in what is memory, you know what I mean? Well, that's another question altogether. We don't ask those questions because we're not brought up to ask such questions. We're brought up, if you get money, you can buy anything, a Rolls Royce or a big house with 40 rooms. So most aims are for money, not scientific instruments. If you wonder why, why do people only think of making money? Because they can buy any car, any house, pay off people, you know what I mean? Money is a symbol and it can get you anything you want. But if you study chemistry, you might learn about chemicals, but you can't afford to live in a nice house. That's why people are money-oriented. Of course, they're bad or greedy, because money gives them what they want, and without it, they can't have what they want. Is that real clear? It's rewarding to people. Now, if helping people is rewarding you instead of money, that's different, but you'll be abused by You'll have to drive a car that breaks down because you don't have the money to buy a car that doesn't break down. A brand new Mercedes will last longer than the average car, but you can't afford that. And if you use magnetic braking, it'll last longer, but you can't afford it. But people with money said, what's the best braking? I'll take two. You know what I mean? And uh, how do I make my house fireproof? You do this, you do that, see? And they can afford it. Without money, you're pissed on by people. Sleeping in the street, you're broke. Everybody says, the guy is a bum. I met what they call bums that were so well-read that they didn't want any part of the system. They lived in poverty. I think I told you about the guy in Haiti with a shirt made of nothing but patches. I couldn't tell which is the real shirt because he had so patches. And he was well informed in semantics, but he was, if somebody, the shirt he wore looked like a guy put a hand grenade in it and blew it up. There were holes all over it and torn, and he still buttoned it up because that's all he had. But he, was, he loved to read, and he was very well informed, but he, in, in what he read, but he was pissed on by everybody. And I talked to him for hours. He was bright as hell. But he didn't, he couldn't identify with being part of his, the world. You know, so they were considered bums. And I considered politicians bums. And people that designed bombers bums. Do you understand? And the people that made the atom bombs dangerous because they gave it to people that were not wise enough to use them. They couldn't take that into account, but they loved the challenge of solving the problem. But they don't, you don't, you know, even the Bible says, cast ye not pearl before swine. You know what that means? If you give a pig a pearl, it doesn't say, gee, that's great, thank you. 
Uh, if you give an atom bomb to an undeveloped country, they'll blast the hell out of people they disagree with. And they'll poison the earth. They don't care about that. They're not wise enough to use it. That's what casting not pearl before swine means to me. Don't give people atom bombs. Don't give people bombers unless they learn to live together in peace. Then you give them airplanes and other spectroscopes and things like that. So when they educate kids in spectra, spectral analysis and magnetometers and all the things they don't know exist, they will not make their own conclusions. They'll say, let's put a spectrometer on that and try to find out. They don't even think that way today. They think, man, it'll always be greedy, no matter what you do. You can say that man has always been greedy due to scarcity or fear of loss. A man can have a million dollars and still steal because he wants to secure his position. He wants to make damn sure even if the banks fail, he has money buried under the mattress or under the ground in a trunk in the backyard, you know. People are insecure because they've known banks to fail and all their money that they put in the banks is gone because the bankers called other bankers and said, hey, we're going to sell out, we're going to close down in three months, take your money out to their friends in the banking business. They did that first, so there was nothing left. Even though a guy worked all his life and saved up $800,000, when the banks failed, they were lined up outside the banks demanding their money. Banks said, we don't have it. And they killed themselves, the people, because they felt they let their families down. So the people that don't put money in the banks, they have a locker in banks where you can put cash. And it, you get to no interest. But you, that can't be touched by the banks. They can't invest it. But uh, that became a form of security. But if you put a million dollars in the bank, if you did that, within and you get interest, you get about 50000 a year interest. So you don't have to worry about anything. You can live 50000 a year as long as your million stays there. And that takes puts it on the back of other people. Yes.